You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David, we have more voicemails today. Are you excited? Yes. You do not sound excited. I need excitement, sir. I'm always excited. This is my excited voice. Yeah, we we were flooded with voicemails from you guys. We're going to go ahead and knock out the rest of those on this episode. So without further ado, David, because we have so many to get to, let's fire up voicemail numero uno. Hello, this is Kevin from Orlando. I am calling because I was wondering what your thoughts were on the Bucks signing Blade Gabbert to be the uh, backup quarterback, if you think it's a good signing or not. And also, too, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, lawsuit against BP and as to whether or not you think that uh, – I'm um, doing this lawsuit is a uh, good idea, and whether or not you think that there will be um, that the Bucks will actually get some money out of the lawsuit, especially since the oil spill was not uh, anywhere close to where the Buccaneers facility is. So, just wanted to get your thoughts on those two things. So, on the Blaine Gabbard signing, I, I really like the Blaine Gabbard signing, and it's as far as what I think about it, it's par for the course for for Bruce Arians. Really, if you look into his history as a head coach or as a coach in general, when he was the offensive coordinator in Cleveland, he brought in a former backup quarterback to help coach up uh, who was the Tim couch and help accelerate the learning curve for a, for a young quarterback learning his system for the first time. So I'm not surprised at all. And this is actually something James that you and I had talked about earlier in the offseason. We actually went and looked at former Bruce Arians quarterbacks who could come in and serve as that backup slash mentor role and he he wrote in his own book that having a veteran backup who has experience in the system, it's just like having another coach in the quarterback room. It's just like having another coach in the huddle on the practice field. And the greatest thing about it is he's wearing pads just like the quarterback he's teaching. And and we've we've discussed it again before. Peer mentoring, peer educating is always kind of the best way to go because there's not that clear delineation of you're my boss, I'm your subordinate, and there's always a little bit of a of a of a kind of a standoff distance whenever you have that kind of a relationship. So having another quarterback in there who can kind of talk through the system, talk through the calls, talk through the signals, having been in the huddle and actually executed it in real life, understanding what it's like to do it physically as as well as decode it mentally. It's it's just going to help the growth. So not surprised at all. Of course, just like any other back and quarterback, definitely hope to never see him step on the field outside the preseason. As far as the BP lawsuit, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with Tampa Bay Lightning's lawsuit. They also filed a lawsuit against BP, uh, stemming from the oil spill, and they kind of had to prove in court what profits or what revenue they lost due to the spill. And a lot of people are kind of confused because it doesn't really seem like the spill would affect a franchise that is landlocked. You know what I mean? Um, so I get that confusion a little bit, but for whatever reasons, I don't know the exact reasons. I'm not a lawyer. I did actually happen to read some some documents or something that were online from the Tampa Bay Lightning settlement. 
and they didn't like the settlement. They appealed. Their appeal got denied. So they got paid six figures, but they weren't happy with how much they got paid. They felt like they were owed more. And essentially, from what I understand is somehow, some way, the Lightning had proved in court that they lost revenue and profit because of the oil spill. And the Buccaneers are essentially doing the same thing. Now, where the Buccaneers kind of had a, a bad look, if you want to call it that, I mean, obviously it hasn't really turned into national news, nor do I think it will, but they petitioned in court to keep their lawsuit against BP private, and they didn't want it released publicly. And uh, the court ruled recently against them, saying that there's no reason for the Buccaneers lawsuit to be held private. So some people see that as the Buccaneers kind of being shady and kind of wanting to hide their reasons for for uh, filing a lawsuit against BP. And some people think it's just a straight-up money grab where they say, hey, maybe there's an opportunity. We'll get some cash out of this, so let's take it. I don't really have an opinion on the Buccaneers filing a lawsuit, um, but that's just basically what I know of it. And, you know, again, they'll have to prove in court that they somehow lost revenue because of the oil spill in order to get anything. So that's, you know, there's still a burden of proof there. Yeah, basically what I could find was the the main reasons that the Buccaneers wanted to keep it quiet was because uh, their their payouts from the NFL would likely come up and in turn would then become public. And then um, basically they they didn't want BP to have the Bucks publicly shamed for requesting money, kind of like what you were just saying. Outside of that, I mean, I I think kind of their the the leg that they'll have to stand on, which is probably what led to the Lightning getting, it was almost seven hundred and ninety thousand dollars when, and David, like you said, they appealed to try to get more. They were looking for over twelve million. Is the fact that this would affect the tourism industry, and we all know how many visiting fans come to the Buccaneers Stadium. You know, they they come to Ray J. We we see it every year. Granted, some of those are transplants. A lot of people move to that area, uh, but a lot of people it's it's the winter time. So you see these these cold weather teams, the the New York fans, the Green Bay fans, the Lion fans, the you know the the Colts, the Bengals, the Browns, the Eagles. You, know, you, you get it. They plan their their vacation around seeing their team playing in. Tampa or in Miami or in Jacksonville because they get a reprieve from the snow and the ice and the nastiness and they get to come and enjoy some nice weather. So they could cite losing tourism as part of how they lost revenue. Like we're not, we're not getting these, these people flocking from the cold weather States to come see their team, you know, because part of the appeal is that in October you can still come to the beach and with it with an oil spill you know you you lose that opportunity so you know i'm 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 not crazy well versed in the whole thing but you know to me it's it's kind of a whatever you know what it's it's billionaires fighting billionaires at this point so i i really am not going to lose any sleep over it as far as blaine gabbert yeah i mean it was it was a smart signing from the aspect of blaine gabbert has worked with bruce arians he knows what to expect he can help jameson in the fill room and, and in the quarterback's room and kind of get him up to speed as to what bruce arians and byron left which are going to look for what they expect what they need what they like what they don't like all those kinds of things i know there was a certain writer for the Tampa Bay Times who viewed Blaine Gabbert as the worst quarterback in the NFL. And of course the Buccaneers signed him and analytics, 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 and it's just stupid. I mean, it's a David, like you said, he's the backup quarterback. You hope that you never have to see him. Chances are, if you see your backup quarterback, the, I would argue the analytics probably show that 
your team is going to lose. There's always exceptions to the rule. Kurt Warner, Nick Foles. But more often than not, when your backup has to come in for any kind of extended period of time, your team's not going to do well. That's just kind of how it goes. So it's smart for Arians to bring in a guy that he's worked with before, can help get Jameis up to speed, and and help move this offense along a little faster than it needs to, much like the the signing of, of Andre Ellington with the running backs and, and some of these guys who have played under Todd Bowles on defense. So I thought it was fine. You know, like I said, if Jameis goes down and he's out for 10 weeks, the season's lost anyway, so who cares? What's going on, Locked On Buck? Hey, check it out. We've been talking a whole lot of Buccaneer football. Let's switch it just for a little bit. Let's talk about some other teams in our division. I want to talk to you about the Carolina Panthers. Apparently, they're switching to a 3-4 also because they basically have no edge rushers. Um, I don't know how good they're going to be this year. I do not know how good they're going to be this year. But um, looking at the draft, who could they possibly pick up? And do you guys got any more juicy information on the Carolina Panthers? Let's break it down, see what we're looking at. All right, guys, go Buck. Greco! Thanks for the call, bud. Uh, okay, the Carolina Panthers. Well, I hope they fail miserably in all aspects of everything. Let's get that out of the way right now. Um, as far as what the Panthers could do in the draft, I don't know. I mean, if, they, if they're looking for help on the defensive side of the ball, and, and I don't know if they're switching their formation at all. I mean, they have Luke Keekley there. He's going to be the guy in the middle. But as far as pass rush, I mean, those top-tier pass rushers are going to be gone. You know, they're not getting their hands on Quinn and Williams or or Josh Allen or Ed Oliver or Brian Burns or, you know, any of the Christian Wilkins. Um, you know, none of those guys are going to fall to the Panthers. You know, they may look to fortify the the offensive line. They may go for one of these tackles or maybe try to trade back and take a Reisner do something to to help keep Cam upright because Cam and Christian McCaffrey are their offense, like period. And last year, Cam Newton put every single ounce of strength he had in every single pass. And I swear by week 14, my nine-year-old son could throw a football further than Cam Newton. His shoulder was not right. And you know, he's a mobile quarterback and he takes those chances. He takes those hits. He's a big guy, but that's starting to show some wear and tear on his body. So he needs to adapt, needs to become more of a pocket guy. Well, in order to be a pocket guy, they have to be able to make a pocket. And I think their offensive line is worse than what a lot of Bucks fans feel the Bucks offensive line is at this point in time. So they could go a lot of different options. They could go receiver. I David, do, do the Panthers even have a number one receiver? I don't think I can name a receiver on their team right now. Um, they have an Ohio State guy, Curtis Samuel. Okay. And DJ so Moore. Have, I mean, DJ Moore, he's not a number one yeah, yet, but he right. has a lot of potential. He's got a high ceiling. He's a high ceiling guy for sure. But right now, they don't have a number one guy. Yeah. Like, they could be the ones to go for DK Metcalf. You know, the the freak of nature that he is. So, you know, they're, the Panthers could do a lot of different things. Um, they could probably use some help in the secondary. I mean, the Panthers are not a very good team right now. I, I would say that overall, they're, they have an uphill battle. Same as the Bucks do, but it, they're, they're not great. So I'm not sure what direction they'll go to in the draft. <laughs> it's going to be one of those things where 
they have the last pick in the first half of the draft. So they kind of have to let, let the draft fall to them, whether they're going to address the defense, the offensive line, or, or a playmaker to complement Cam and, and Christian McCaffrey because we, we still aren't even 100% sure if smack talking Greg Olson is, is going to play or not. There, there's been some rumblings that he was going to take the Monday night football job. And, uh, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't officially retired, but he can't stay healthy either. So I, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but they, they need a lot of help on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I agree with with pretty much all that stuff. I mean, on defense, I don't. I think their biggest need is on offense. On defense, you know, switching to a three four. I think Don Terry Poe is good for as a three as a three four nose or that main interior lineman. And then you got Vernon Butler, who I was really high on uh, when he came out of college out of Louisiana Tech. And I was recently on a Panthers podcast, the the uh, Carolina Cat Chronicles uh, podcast, three C three podcast with those guys, longtime friends with with them. And that's something that we kind of talked about was how their defense is going to shape out uh, or shape up looking like a three, four. And I, and I said on there and I stand by it today that typically when you have a switch from a four, three to a three, four, you move your four, three outside linebacker in as an interior linebacker, which would mean that Shaq Thompson would move inside with Luke Keekley. Uh The Panthers signed Bruce Irvin in the off season. They have him listed on their roster right now anyway, as a linebacker slash defensive end, which means he's going to play an outside linebacker role as a stand-up edge rusher uh, for the most part. And then on the other side, you have K1 Short, who can also kick out as sort of a def- as a bigger defensive end. Where what where they're hurting is is kind of what Grigo said is an edge rusher. So a guy like Brian Burns, if he makes the 16, even Cleveland Farrell could be could be there. Now, again, those are all kind of great, you know, defensive picks. But honestly, I mean, if you look at that. If you look at having that that trio up front and you look at the linebackers they already have, bring in Bruce Irvin, they already have a fairly good front seven, if you ask me, uh, especially if Bruce can return to kind of his Seattle mold um, that, he, that he was in before he went to Atlanta. Now on offense, offensive line, they need a lot of help. They lost their center, but they signed another one who's pretty good, uh, Matt Paradis, who came out of Denver. So I think they kind of plugged that hole for now. But they still need tackle help. They still need guard help. Um, I talked to those guys, and I think a day two target for the Panthers could be Dalton Reisner if he's there. But I mean, that dude's kind of he's he's in that first round category for some people in conversation. And with the Panthers picking in the middle of the second round again, you know, is he still going to be there that late in the second round? They might have to make a move here or there. DK Metcalf, I think, is a really good uh, option for them. Um, really, any of these wide receivers, a guy like in Keel Harry, they lost Devin Funches. He kind of reminds me of him if they really like that kind of, of uh, wide receiver, but. Right now, really, they've got Curtis Samuel, like we already talked about, DJ Moore, like we already talked about, and they got Torrey Smith as their veteran presence. Those three receivers are really kind of the same type of receiver. So what they're missing is that tall, strong, you know, just ball security type of guy who can really muscle around a defender. So that's what they're I think that's where they're gonna have to target as far as that's in the draft that's concerned in the draft. And then of course they've got Christian McCaffrey, but I mean McCaffrey can't do everything, uh, despite what Panthers fans probably probably think. All right. Well, David, let's fire up the next voicemail. Hey, guys. Rick from San Diego. And my question today is, especially going to this deep draft um, at the defensive line position, what's going on with Noah Spence? I mean, he comes in into the league. We draft him in the second round, supposedly one of the best pure Paris rushers in the draft. A little bit of checkered past, um, makes him slip, has a great rookie season, hurt, arm sling. I see him doing strip sack fumbles, you know, 
looks dominant, um, gets hurt again, unfortunately, second season, first or second game, uh, but then comes in rocked up. Um, third season, Ayer says he's going to get 16 sacks, and then nothing. Um, one of the worst pass rushing defenses in the league. We can't even really get him on the field that much, and even last year, not a whole ton. Um, and so I'm um, conspiracy theory, or is it just lack of um, – Use uh, from the coaching staff. I know, you know, we've heard he's going to get another shot in the in the three four defense this year. So I um, just want to get your thoughts on what exactly happened. Is there something inside the building we don't know about, or were they just not used appropriately, or does he just cannot play anymore? Uh, so just kind of get your thoughts. See what you guys say about that, and um, see what you think about us maybe draft another pass rusher uh, with that fifth overall pick if we don't trade down. Anyway, thanks guys, appreciate it. So. I love Noah Spence, and I've been on record since since uh, the year that he came out of college and before the Bucks even drafted him, how excited I would be if the Bucks drafted Noah Spence. And I still stand by that. I still have high hopes for Noah Spence. However, and James, you can back me up on this. Our long longtime listeners can back, us, back me up on this. I think this goes back to our Peter Plank days in our previous podcast. But I always said that Noah Spence translated best to me as a 3-4 outside linebacker, so getting drafted by the Bucks, that's what would make me nervous is the fact that they were running a 4-3 system. I don't know what happened this past season with Noah Spence. So what I think happened is that Mike Smith or maybe it was Dirk Cutter or maybe it was Brunson Buckner, I don't know, somebody wanted him to play with more power and maintain or less or have less speed. I don't I don't I don't know. Noah Spence's strength has always been his speed, his quickness, his ability to shoot through the gaps, to beat the beat offensive linemen off the line, to get around them, to get, you know, to, to beat them with quickness. And we all know he he bulked up. A lot of people in the initial conversation was like, well, he's bulking up to put more muscle around that shoulder so it doesn't get hurt again, which I'm sure is a is a happy side effect. But just like we talked about Jameis Winston yesterday, you you can't add weight to a player and expect them to play the exact same way. So you're either adding weight for a specific purpose and well, so you're adding weight for, for a specific purpose is what I'm getting at. So Jameis Winston adding five pounds of muscle, there's a purpose to adding that five pounds of muscle. And it's not just for protection. Protection just happens to be a side effect. With Noah Spence, the only reason I could think they wanted him to add weight is to make him, like I said, stronger at the point of attack. So they either want him to become a better run stopper, which is fine. But the problem is you're taking a guy whose specialty is pass rushing and trying to make him a better run stopper. Well, in the process, you're going to make him a lesser pass rusher. And don't get me wrong, this this isn't a kid. No Spence wasn't a guy who was a top five pass rusher. He wasn't a top 15 pass rusher. When he came out of college, a lot of people said, had he stayed at Ohio State, had he not had the drug problems, he probably would have been a first-round pick. You never know what would happen. If he stayed at Ohio State under that coaching against that competition, maybe he climbs into that top five. But guess what teams aren't going to do with Josh Allen? They're not going to draft Josh Allen and then say, hey, dude, bulk up and become slower. Because that doesn't make any sense. But that's what it seems like the Buccaneers did. Someone in that franchise did with Noah Spence and said, hey, we love how fast you are. We love how you get after the quarterback. We love, you know, like you said, the strip sacks uh, and all that stuff. Do us a favor and get bigger and slower. That, that makes no sense. And it completely – so now not only are you saying to a guy – who just had a really good rookie season, we're going to completely change how you play the game. We're going to completely change the role we're going to use you in. And we want you to do it, oh, by the way, while you're recovering from an injury. And if you can't do it exactly the way we want you to, we're just going to put you on the shelf. Again, this goes back to all the frustrations we've talked about uh, with with previous coaching staff. 
but it's just yet another move that doesn't really seem to make sense. I don't know what Noah Spence weighs right now, but I'm really hoping that when the season ended and the Buccaneers got their new coaching staff, that Todd Bowles or somebody, you know, got a message to him through Jason Light or, you know, through shadow Twitter accounts, whatever, and said, hey, dude, we want you to rush the quarterback. Go ahead and lose a little bit of that weight. And that that he's he's been preparing to do just that. Uh, but until we see him, we don't know. And that's really kind of the frustrating thing is what I feel like happened ultimately is that they said, we want you to fill this role, which is not the role you're really built to play right now. So do us a favor, rebuild yourself to fill that role. He tried to do so. It didn't work. So they just put him on the shelf. But we never really saw because he never got on the field. So we never really saw what they were trying to do with him and that failure. So the only place he failed apparently was on the practice field, which I mean, if Deshaun Jackson is getting into real games, given his attitude about practice, then Noah Spence must have just been sitting on water coolers to not get in a game. I don't know. It feels like there's more to it than that. Um, but again, now we're, we're getting into actual conspiracy theories uh, like James. James liked to, to throw it on me yesterday. So that's that's my thoughts on what happened with Noah Spence, what's going to happen with Noah Spence, hopefully because like like the caller reference and like we've talked about Jason Light saying at the Combine specifically, that he's really excited to see what Noah Spence might be able to do under this new system. What I hope happens is that he's a 3-4 outside linebacker, stand-up edge rusher, and maybe that's the reason edge rusher hasn't been as high of a priority for the Buccaneers as maybe some of the fans think it is, is because they think they can really use Noah in that role along with JPP standing up, along with Carl Nassib standing up, and then, you know, maybe a second or third round draft pick uh, on top of that group and with Levante David and so on and so forth. Yeah, and, and I really don't have much, if anything, to add. Uh, I know we're we're coming up against the clock and we still have one more voicemail to go, so I'll just say real quick, yeah, it, it's another shining example of coaching and competence that this team was dealing with. So, you know, just like David said, you don't take a speed guy and then say, here, gain 15 pounds, but can you still run as fast? Like, it doesn't work that way. So it was just, it's been mismanaged, mishandled, and, and just poorly executed by this coaching staff. And, uh, you know, Noah Spence is dealing with a few lost years. Now, could he be as ineffective as he has been? Sure, that's definitely a possibility. Maybe the coaching staff, you know, shelved him because it didn't matter what he did. He still wasn't a productive NFL player, but we all know that the coaching in this league does matter. And if he can't get it done playing at his proper weight from the, you know, standing up as, as a three, four outside linebacker, that he probably won't get it done at all. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what, how things go this year with a, with a competent coaching staff that apparently or obviously knows what they're doing rather than Mike Smith and um, yeah, we'll just kind of go from there. But I'm I'm hoping for some sort. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to get double digit sacks. But you give me five and a half, six in a rotational role. I'm thrilled with that out of Noah Spence in his first year under this system. So, David, let's go ahead and fire up the uh, the final voicemail here before we run out of time. Hey guys, this is Lake in Tampa. Just with some draft thoughts here. Um, everyone trying to put the pieces together based on reported visits, needs, so forth, so on. But I always think back to the Mike Evans draft after he was drafted. You found out that they basically, I think we're at pro day, it may have worked them out up at Texas A&M, but there wasn't a necessarily a pre-draft visit. So, hey, you never know who may end up being drafted that 
we didn't even know we're on the Bucks radar. So always fun this time of year, but we always have to think that the GM, the coaches, front office doesn't always let their uh their thoughts out there in the public for a reason. We don't want other teams maybe jumping up above us for a certain pitch. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Have a great day and go Bucks. All right, Layton, thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean you you can't read too much into pre draft visits, but more often than not, the the teams that bring these guys in, you know, they're gonna draft one of these players that they they spent the time with and and had visit and you know paid for them to come in and all that. And it was something that David and I touched on on yesterday's episode. You're not gonna spend all the time and money if it's a guy that you're not interested in now or for the future, these guys end up becoming available in trade and, and, and they hit free agency and all that. So they kind of keep track and keep file of all these guys that they have through the facility. Um, yeah. It's, it's those rare occasions that they draft someone that didn't come in for, for a pre-draft visit. You know, there may be, uh, I can't, I can't think of a, of a great example. We'll, we'll take, we'll take Nick Bosa. Okay. The Patriots could bring Nick Bosa in for a pre-draft visit. There's no way that he falls to number 32, but the Patriots could say, look, you know, we're going to follow this guy's career and we're going to, you know, keep tabs on him and, and bring him in at some point, or there's always the unexpected. Look at, look at Aaron Rodgers. Uh, yeah. He's, he's been in the news lately because apparently he and Mike McCarthy are just both terrible people, but we saw Aaron Rodgers in the green room just continue to free fall in that draft. I'm sure when the Packers were doing all of their mock drafts and all of their planning and all of their, their what if scenarios, not a single scenario that they could possibly fathom would have had Aaron Rodgers dropping to them at what was it? 22, 23. Those kinds of crazy things happen. So you do your due diligence and you bring these guys in for visits. You know, there may be the, the rare occasion where you figure a guy's just too far out of reach. You don't have the capital or you can't afford what it's going to cost to move up, to be in the range, to get that guy. And something happens and he just free falls to you. So yeah, you never know. Like you said, I mean, you you can't read too much into pre-draft visits, but there's definitely a purpose behind all of them. And chances are, I would say, 90% chance, 95% chance, the Buccaneers will pick a guy that they've had in the facility in the first round. Right, and and just to expand on some of the reasons you have some of these guys come in for visits, even if you don't necessarily believe they'll be there. Like you look at the Buccaneers and Nick Bosa – you know, every mock draft since, you know, Nick Bosa entered college has had him going in, in the top three picks of, of whatever NFL draft he was going to come out of uh, or come out in. So really, there's little to no chance that most people believe Nick Bosa will be there when the Buccaneers go on the clock at pick number five. But what if a Reuben Foster type situation occurs where all of a sudden this player is available, kind of like what James was talking about? You look at the Redskins. They, they've, they've caught a lot of flack for bringing Reuben Foster onto their team, and they probably will continue to until things get going. But Reuben Foster is yet another player in the NFL that we've seen that's going to get an opportunity to rebuild his image uh, really kind of yet again. This is a guy who's got multiple offenses on his record. But the Redskins, now I don't know if they had a visit with him or not. I don't. I, all I know is that there were there was a time during that draft buildup where the Redskins were tied to a guy like Reuben Foster. 
So now as soon as he comes up as an, as an organization, you're not scrambling to figure out if you like Ruben Foster, the player, so that you know if taking on Ruben Foster, the person, is worth the risk. You already know if you like him or not because you've already done your due diligence. You've already done your research and you've already had the conversations. So now you can swoop in and, and you're, you're ready to take on the media firestorm. Uh, you look at Kareem Hunt. You know, did the Browns do their due diligence when he was coming out of the draft? I would imagine they probably did. So when he came available, again, it's a thing where they can evaluate and they can sit back and John Doris can say, okay, is it worth the media firestorm? We're going to get the media so we're going to get to pick this guy up. You've already done the work from the football side. So now you're really just doing the operation side, the PR side and, and all that uh, just makes your life a little bit easier. And then, of course, if they become free agents, you know, you look at, at Jameis Winston, there's a lot of conversations and questions right now on, is Jameis Winston really going to be the quarterback for this franchise of the future? Well, if he's not and he becomes a free agent next year, there's going to be a lot of teams who are going to be considering him as a quarterback. They're going to go back to their draft work in 2015 on him. Look at that film. Look at that, those tapes. Look at their report, uh, the reports they had built on him compared to what they see now and and make a decision going from there. Uh, John Gruden, you know, talking with Kyler Murray, saying that, you know, Derek Carr is going to be the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders in 2019. So what's the point in bringing in Kyler Murray? Well, Again, you never know what's going to happen. And, of course, it's John Gruden. So him saying that Derek Carr is his quarterback really doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, means nothing. Yeah, right now. Until Kyler Murray is drafted by somebody other than the Raiders, he's in play for the Raiders. I don't care what anybody says. But, yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much sums up why why all these visits happen. But, again, uh, like I mentioned on yesterday's show, according to you know the, the person I spoke to in Indianapolis, about 60% of team's top picks come from the group of players they have visit. So it, it's not nothing, but it's not necessarily something for right now either. All right. Well, Dave, we are pretty much out of time. So we thank all of you who have called in, especially you first time callers, make sure that you continue to do so. And of course, all of you can give us a call at 813-444-5841. Check out everything going on over at bucksnation.com. We still have our 40 prospects and 40 day series going. We have another one coming up for you today make sure you're following along on twitter at locked on bucks at jarco underscore bucks at dh82 underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation hope you all have a safe wonderful and enjoyable day and thank you so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks I see it so-